and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, so we want to talk about this SVP, SVB Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, and the collapse and what's happened there, and why is the stock market up today in, in light of that information? And so I, I need it break, broken down in very simple terms. When I say to someone, please talk to me like I don't know anything, Kristen Bentz is always there to help me, and she joins us now. Kristen, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No Taylor Swift. What is going on? Yeah, Swift City. How about that? I, I was going to make a comment, but I figured I better stay away from how snarky I'd get by going in that direction. Yeah. That was some rough breaking news. Yes. Anyway, back to you. <laughs> Well, I just so my next question is if Glendale is Swift City, and so is Peoria not so Swift City? <laughs> oh, those are fighting words there. Okay. All right, let's talk about this bank uh, collapse. So the stock market is up. I read one story today that said it's because now the Wall Street is betting that because of this collapse that the Fed may back off interest rate hikes. So where are we at with this stuff? Oh, my God. It's my first day of spring break. Can I tell you? Like, this was not the Monday that I was expecting. Okay. (laughs) I mean, after the last couple Um, of years we had, you're not expecting this. I was not expecting this. All right. So the market. So, you know, what is SVB failing? What does this say about the market? So... SVB was a top 20 regional bank in the country, right? So it's, you know, not just some tiny little bank. So what they were doing is um, lending money to startups. Some of those startups were very lucrative and they put all their money back in the bank. And some of those startups were not so lucrative. So what do banks do when you give them money? They invest it to make more money. And they invested in some kind of risky investments, basically. And when the Fed raised all these interest rates, they kind of got caught on the wrong side of that trade. So, you know, what what makes this bank run different? Okay, Um, it's a digital bank run. Right. So back in the 90s, you had to physically, you know, pull out your money. Now, everything just happens overnight on your phone. Right. So all these investors were worried and clients of the bank that they couldn't make their cable, they couldn't pay their people, that you know this money wouldn't be around on Friday. So everyone started pulling that money out and then the federal government seized that bank. And then you had another bank that was seized and that's Signature Bank. So, you know, that makes people a little leery. It's kind of like, you know, Duke and Duke, you and I make all these references all the time to trading places. Right. <laughs> it's kind of that situation. So the markets don't like that. And so what's causing that? Well, obviously, you know, the folks that were, you know, the head of this bank were making really terrible decisions with your money. So that's one problem. But the other problem are these, you know, interest rates that the Fed are spiking. So yes, the market would love for them to kind of tamp that down a little bit. So we'll see what happens with that. And that's kind of what's going on today. But it doesn't exactly make, you know, Joe Sixpack Investor you know, or Joe Sixpack investor feel comfortable with what's going on in the country. So when the White House comes out and the White House reassures the American people that your money is going to be there, your investments are safe, money in the bank is safe there, pretty necessary for the White House to make that statement. But how do they back it up and make it believable to everybody? Well, it's funny, you know, um, this is a very political, obviously, because, you know, if you look at who's on the board of SVB, it's Barney Frank. So there's a lot of like, you know, coziness and handholding between the banks and the U.S. government. And that kind of is, is the question, is this regulation or lack thereof? 
So when you walk into your bank, you'll see a little sticker on the window that says FDIC. Okay, so what does that mean? That means if you have an investment in that bank of under $250,000, if a bank run or something horrible like this occurs, you will get paid. You will be made whole. But what about those folks that had more than that amount of money? Right. <laughs> so that's why you see, you know, um, Joe Biden popping up at 9 a.m. When have you ever seen him pop up at 9 a.m. so quickly? So this has become a very political thing. So they want to get out there, you know, very swiftly and severely and say, the government, we got you. We're going to back you up. So that's other banks and other broader insurance programs that are paying for this money, not taxpayer money. And that's what he's trying to convey to the American public. And, you know, we just have to see if we're going to believe that. Kristen Benz is joining me. She is the head of KB Advisor Group. We're talking about the Silicon Valley bank collapse. So let's so then what does the average American consumer need to be concerned about, if anything? And what should they be looking for in the next couple of days or weeks to make sure everything's going to be okay? Well, everyone's going to start taking a look at where they're banking, right? And how healthy is your bank? And this begs the question, Mike, over, you know, did the FDIC know that this 20th largest bank was making risky investments? I'm going to say they probably did. (laughs) So everyone's going to start, you know, raising a few eyebrows about where they're putting their money. And then that also hurts regional banks. Now, the good part for the U.S. consumer or local consumers is that now regional banks are going to have to make money, many more sweetener deals um, to local folks that want to invest in their bank and give them kind of better terms, better deals and that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's where consumers will benefit from this. But it also will make it more difficult for regional banks because they're going to have to work even harder to compete because the bad guys gave them a bad name. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then how can someone, is there an easy way for someone to find out where their bank is at and what their bank is doing? How, how, how safe are they? Well, you know, allegedly you have all of this regulation, not a lot of it, but some of it to kind of, you know, regulate that for you and let you know that, you know, XYZ bank is healthy. Um, they're called stress tests. And so typically bank regulators are doing this kind of like oil rigs (laughs) when they test an oil rig to see if it's safe. That should be going on all the time. But we know sometimes those oil rigs have cracks and bad things happen. So, again, it goes back to being a savvy investor, doing your due diligence and banking, you know, with the usual suspects. And so to your point about the market being up today, look at J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan is the only bank that's up. And they're like, you know what? Hey, we're your big brother. We'll take care of you. We'll back you guys up. And so then they're going to make even more money. So, you know, the, the Goldman's of the world, the JP Morgan's of the world, they're going to kind of benefit from this uncertainty. And it just goes back to kind of this Bobby Axelrod thing that you and I were joking about earlier, that the house always wins. Yeah. And you always want to be the house. You always want to be the house. Um, I appreciate the time as always. If people want to follow you on social media or find you. How do they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kristen Benz, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-B-E-N-T-Z. And you can also find me on Instagram, which I think is a little bit more fun because they're pictures. And that is Kristen, middle initial C, Benz on Instagram. Kristen, it's great to talk with you. It's great to catch up, and I hope you'll come back soon. Always. Thank you. That is Kristen Benz, KB Advisory Group, and a wealth of information, as you can see. Coming up in just a moment, lack of police officers and bad policy are leading to crime increases. We're going to talk about both coming up in just a couple of moments.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for spending some time with the show. Um, shortages of police officers, uh, bad policy, I think, is leading to an increase in crime. We're hearing more and more law enforcement officers speak out about this, and there shouldn't be an adversarial relationship between city management and policing. And now I want to tell a couple of stories uh, again, and I don't, I have not talked with the city of Chandler about the one I'm going to talk about. I haven't really talked with a police officer involved here, but police union head claims city retaliation. Here is when I talk about a relationship between a management and an employee. Um, it doesn't matter where you work, in my estimation. This is my personal feeling. It doesn't matter where you work. Everyone at work right now, within the sound of my voice, I would be venture. I would. I would guess it is well over ninety nine percent of people think they are underpaid a little. Everyone, everyone thinks they're worth more. There's a reason why superstar athletes that are getting contracts in the hundreds of millions of dollars of guaranteed money have an agent that argue for months and months and months and months because they know that whatever it is they're getting, they think they could be getting a little bit more or should be. What keeps someone happy in a job is when management has respect for what they do. And when that relationship breaks down, no matter whose fault it is, it becomes um, – Toxic. And in this case, I don't know who's right or who's wrong, but I'm going to give you some perspective. Um, for a very long time, this is going back, man, a decade, uh, I've been talking about police shortages in the city of Phoenix. I talked about when the market crashed back in 08, uh, 09, the city of Phoenix sat down, and this is the, now there's the office uh, plea is the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association. It is the largest representation of, of rank and file police officers, it's a union. And, you know, they have a sergeant and lieutenants association. Phoenix Fire has a union. Well, Phoenix Fire and police sat down with the city of Phoenix and gave back real compensation in order to save the jobs of firefighters and cops that nobody would be laid off. They came to an agreement. Well, there are the same kind of organizations across the city. Clee and Chandler, the head of the Chandler Law Enforcement Association, said when he began to speak out publicly to the media – about staffing shortages, there was retribution. He was removed from a specialized unit and returned to patrol. So they have filed a claim, a notice of claim, saying that I didn't do anything wrong. All I did was speak out about shortages of officers and staffing shortages and the dangers of staffing shortages. And for that, because of my job as the head of the union, and that's his job as the head of the union to look out for membership, he says that the city has acted in retribution. I'm reading this from a story saying that they are uh, – I'm being uh, put a They're taking me out of my job and punishing me because I'm doing my job as a union leader. Now, I do not know the details of this at all other than what I've read in the story from the Chandler News. But this is an indicator to me of something bigger. And what I mean by that is the relationship breaking down between bosses and employees. You know, I have we all have bosses and I do, too. If I feel as if. Uh, My boss is not standing up for me. I don't like where I work. If my boss is mistreating me and it's happened to me and I'm not I don't I'm not a big name dropper. I, I don't call people. I mean, I just it is it is what it is. They know who they are. I worked for someone who treated and he still works 
something you know, works out there in the world. He, he treated me like less than a human being. And in the end, I wasn't angry at him. I was angry at myself because I allowed him to speak to me like that for a very long time. And I look at myself in the mirror and I think, I don't let anybody talk to me that way. And I, I just couldn't work with this person. Wasn't going to do it anymore. No matter what I did for a living, I was done working for that person. And it's a shame because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people I, I enjoyed working with. But it also, the reverse is true. If my boss thought I was going around him to the bigger bosses, there wouldn't be, there'd be a trust issue between him and I. You couple that in law enforcement and you look at the policies that are out there where more and more law enforcement officers are speaking out. And we're talking about leaders, this management and police department saying we are supposed to have a relationship with prosecutors where prosecutors are prosecuting crimes and they're doing it vigorously. They want us to vigorously make arrests and keep the streets safe. Well, we're arresting people. We're going through the process of doing all of the paperwork. We're making cases. We're presenting evidence. And then we're finding out that there's this revolving door of a justice system, and we're arresting those people again before the ink is dry on the reports the first time. So all of these things lead to bigger issues. Now, I, I don't know, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm trying to find out more about what's going on specifically in Chandler. Is this truly a case where the head of the Police Officers Association, the Chandler Law Enforcement Association, spoke out and said, we are getting dangerously low in staffing. It's becoming an officer and a public safety issue. And for that, there was retribution. If that's the case, it's a terrible thing. Because you should be able to go to your bosses and say, just like I should be able to go to my my boss and say, what's going on around here is not right. It's it's costing us. The, you know, in our world is different than policing. Policing, you are talking about life safety issues. But if if there isn't a good relationship between management and workers, the breakdown in policing makes it dangerous, especially when officers have choices. I guarantee you a seasoned officer in the city of Chandler is going to be well sought after in other cities around the valley that are also short-staffed. So I hope that this go blows over pretty quick. I hope there's some restoration of a relationship, but it's an indicator of something that all of us should be keeping our eye on. It's also an indicator of how we should be watching what we say amongst each other. Uh, coming up in a moment, um, a study shows that Arizona could gain billions of dollars with a more educated population. So we'll talk about that study and where people are getting that education next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. If you text the word Valley to 411923, you become a Phoenix Suns insider to get all the latest and breaking news on the Suns and their quest for an NBA championship. Text the word Valley to 411923. Um, you can go over to uh, uh, Griselda Zatino did a great job with a story about education. He's got an ongoing series about education. You can go to KTAR.com. Uh, Arizona stands, stands to gain billions from a more educated population, according to a report. This report from Helios Education Foundation says we believe that education does change lives and make our communities better. The report also finds an average. The lifetime earnings for Arizonans with a bachelor's degree are nearly three times greater than those with no college degree. Um, there's also a headline, college enrollment tanks as many teens opt for trade school or an early career. 
why do you, why do I want to put all that money to get a piece of paper? This is, I think, what the struggles are in education. Is I think the industry is changing, and it's not a bad thing. It should change. It all everything, every thriving industry changes at one point or another. I don't care what industry you're in. If you don't change with it, there is going to be dire consequences. And education is one of those things. As we have more choices everywhere. I know this is going to be a weird analogy, but if you look at the music industry, when I was a kid, again, I grew up in that generation. Many of you did. I had Columbia House. You know, you buy 10 records for a penny or whatever it is, and then you got to buy so many a year. And and um, that's how we bought our records. And there were record stores. And we actually bought albums. And then it went to CDs and well, cassettes. And then from cassettes to CDs. And from, you know, all of these things changed how we listen to music. The industry had to change because now it's more difficult for to get people to buy an album. Now, there's some old school guys like me. I still like the art on an album cover. I don't own a record player, but I liked albums. I liked the story that was told by an album. That's kind of been lost. Now it's about hit music, and you get everything digitally online, and and you know uh, Yahoo and iTunes and all of these other places where people are selling their music, and people are cons- consuming it differently. If you're an artist and you are not changing the way people, you know, if you could you imagine being an artist that said, I'm only putting my music out on vinyl because I'm a purist. Well, good. You're going to starve. It's just how it's going to be. Um, And so the industry of education has to change along with it digitally and otherwise. And I think we're starting to see, especially in a place like Arizona, and this may change 20 years from now, this might be different. But as we're watching the desert Southwest become a huge destination for the rest of the country, I watched it happen in the Southeast. We're still seeing massive growth in the state of Florida. There is a need for people in the construction and the trades. And you're talking about labor that is skilled labor. There is training involved. There is schooling involved. But it isn't a classic classroom education anymore, and it isn't to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars in tuition per year. And that is where we are seeing people making different choices. They are seeing as very young people, I can forego the college classroom and I can get a certificate as a welder. I can work in any of these other fields. Arizona has become a foodie state. The city of Phoenix, and I should say the valley itself, whether it's the East Valley and Scottsdale and Phoenix and other parts of town have become destinations for foodies. If you are someone that loves to be, you want to be in the culinary arts, you want to be a chef, you can make a great living and feed your family as a chef. Um, so there are a lot of options. And I think the education system in America has to shift and adjust in order to uh, fill the needs we have. Again, I've never denigrated a college education. I, I, I think it is a, it, not only is it worthwhile, I think it's necessary. I am envious of people that have a college degree because I do not. Um, so I'm not denigrating the need we have. But if you're going to go to college for the college experience and get a degree, just any degree, believing that that's your ticket. It isn't the same as it was years ago. A college degree was the key to huge success in the past. That is not the case anymore. And so people, young people, have to make better and different decisions. Um, and this is with more uh, – with that happening, uh, there's things at the high school level that need to be adjusted. And what I mean by that is the focus of career counselors or college counselors and what a kid's going to do after after high school. Maybe they need to adjust and you start ascertaining which of the student body is headed toward college and which of the student body is more um, likely to flourish 
in a situation where they go for a certificate. Maybe that's somewhere that that's helpful. But this is um, interesting. This this is uh, uh, this was over from Capital Media Services. Howie Fisher did this. Lawmakers and district break up baff- bill baffles M- Mesa Public Schools. There has been a push in Arizona for a long time that we we could decrease the uh, amount of money in oversight of schools if we combined districts. Instead of having a Phoenix Union High School District and a Phoenix Union Elementary School District and some of these other districts that are, um, you know, that are smaller, if they were combined into a K-12 through district, A, it would streamline education, and B, it would reduce management costs or oversight costs. There are bills in the legislature right now being pushed through that would Break up like Mesa Public Schools, which I believe is the largest district in the state. And Mesa Public Schools is saying we always want to do better, but how does that oversight cost into breaking this up? And you got to have you know more superintendents, more people on the school board running for offices, more staff, more. Why would why is that the answer to the issue? And I got to say, I agree with that sentiment. Why are we talking about breaking up? And the answer is we don't like what some of these districts are doing. And I don't either, by the way, not specifically Mesa, but I'm not always happy with the way school districts are going about things. But just because you aren't happy about the way a school district is doing things doesn't mean you break it up. And and why would you – with all of the complaints about lack of dollars into the classroom, why would you advocate for something that you know? And maybe there's a good answer to this, and I hope someone out there can answer it for me. Maybe someone at the legislature can explain to me how advocating for more expense and oversight by breaking up a major school district is the answer to issues. I'd love to hear it. I can't think of one, but I'm sure someone's going to try to tell me. In a moment, what is the customer rage survey? Are you upset to the point of rage about poor customer service lately? Well, if you are, you're not alone. We'll talk about that in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate some time. The National Customer Rage Survey. It made me laugh when I read the headline. It points to troubling trends among U.S. consumers. The 2022 edition of the National Customer Rage Survey, um, it was conducted by Care Measurement and Consulting. Here's the evidence and what it's showing. Um, of the thousand people that responded to the poll, 74% claimed to have an issue with the product or service in 2022, up from 66% two years earlier. 63% of them said they felt some sort of customer rage during an attempt to resolve the issue, which is the same rage percentage observed in 2020, albeit now that represents a larger number of infuriated customers. They're also yelling at or raising their voices 43% of our interactions with customer service. Um, I can tell you that I, I customer service plays a big role in what I spend my money on. And now there's a lot of people that have that will deal with or need to deal with um, 
uh, price, and it is for me as well. Price is always a concern. But when it comes down to it, I will spend a little bit more money for better customer service. Um, I'm, I can tell you the places that I go that I love, and I love them because there's great customer service. I can go someplace that has fantastic, let's say a restaurant. I can go somewhere that has really good food. If their customer service is bad, I'm out. I, call me a diva. Call me what you want. I don't care what you're selling. If I'm in here and I'm your customer, I don't care if it's I'm at a drive through at a fast food joint or if I am sitting down at a very nice restaurant. If the customer service is bad, I'm out. And the most successful businesses, whatever they are in dealing with the public, have really good customer service. And the outrageous, I think the what outrages me more is when you're screaming into the phone at the automated services. And that to me is the biggest issue. I, I talked about this recently and this is not a, actually I heard from somebody from the city about this. It was a very nice conversation. My fault at the beginning of this, but trying to deal with the city sometimes in an automated system where you feel like you're never going to get to a real human being. And you go to pay a bill online or on your phone and everything is automated. What's your what's your account number? And you punch in your account number. And it's usually 12 digits long. And what I heard was and they repeat the whole number back and you've got to say, yes, that's it. And then they want your credit card number. So you give them the 16 digits. Then this is what I heard. And you give them that and then say, we need the expiration date. OK, this is what I heard. And then they need the three three digit code on the back of the card. You go through this entire process. And when you're done, if you've messed up one number, you got to start all over again. By the time you're done. You are screaming into the phone. I just think that's poor customer service. And then to be bounced around, and this wasn't with the city, but I, I had a customer service issue recently where I called the number where it said, this is how you reach this business. And they said, oh, oh, we're the wrong people to talk to about this. You have to talk to someone else about that. Let me transfer you over there. Sat on hold and waited for that person. I don't know why people keep sending people over here. We're not the ones that can help you. You need these other people. Then I got to the third person, and that third person said, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing I can do. All of them were very nice, but it was about a 15-minute waste of my time. I will go somewhere else. There have been times when I've raised my voice. There have been times, and there's nothing you can do, especially on the phone. When you're dealing with somebody on the phone, and I don't, in the end, when I hang up the phone, I don't blame that customer service representative. They've got a tough job to do. They don't know who I am, nor do they care. They're making a, you know, they're probably not making a whole lot of money, and they're dealing with people's problems all day. But that doesn't excuse their behavior. When they behave badly, you're representing a company. Uh, there appeared to be a rise in consumers lashing out in public, too, especially during the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, what constitutes reasonable behavior in public square is being redefined, and it's kind of scary, according to this. Um, Half of the respondents felt that yelling, arguing, and social media assassinations were uncivil ways to deal with consumer issues. But the other half those were, thought those were totally fine or appropriate depending on the specific scenario, and a quarter of the people surveyed didn't think that threats, humiliation, foul language, or lying were uncivil at all. I'm, I don't want to get that worked up in public. I'll be honest. I don't want to make a fool of myself. Um, I'll give you an example of this kind of thing and how I handle it. And I don't always. Always. People know me. I'm, you know, I get road rage with the best of them. So it's not like I've got this even tempered attitude all the time. But I was in a Chipotle 
and uh, it was right at the end of the pandemic where the mask mandates were lifted and all that stuff was done. Um, I had been vaccinated already. Um, vaccinated and boosted. I had my first two shots before they said a third shot was necessary. But it was in that early time period where all that was going on. And I walked into a uh, a Chipotle. Now, I don't know if this was company-wide or if this was this one store or just some kid that worked at the store that wanted me to put a mask on. And uh, I said, I don't have a mask. And he wanted me to pull my shirt over my face. And I said, I've been vaccinated. And they just dropped all of this requirement. And he said, well, they haven't dropped it here. It's still our policy. And I said, all right, man. I said, listen, I know you're doing your job. No sweat. I'll see you. And I left. And I went next door to the Schlotzky's Deli. And I got a sandwich instead. It's no big deal to them. I'm certain I didn't bankrupt Chipotle, but I'm also not going to plunk my money down if I feel like I'm not being treated like a customer, if I'm not being treated fairly. Um, and I think Americans are Americans are more upset because there's lack of human contact and money's tighter. And when you spend your money now, people want to get value for what they're spending money. They want to be treated as a customer when they're spending their money. And when they're mistreated or they feel as if they're not being treated respectfully, they're blowing their lids. And I, there's a lot. I've watched it happen, man. And it's sometimes it's funny. I don't want to see it get violent. But you have to admit, when you see someone uh, uh, blow a gasket, sometimes it makes you laugh. You know, and, and to watch some of the people screaming at customer service makes me laugh sometimes. I'm doing it at automated things. That's what gets me standing in my house screaming into the phone. Is My mother was in town. She's watching me and laughing while I'm raving like a maniac screaming in an automated system. Just thought it was an interesting survey. What I'm going to do just after 10 o'clock, Speaker McCarthy and Minority Leader Jeffries have a relationship. Is a relationship between those two leaders an important part of American politics? We'll talk about it next.